And right now, I've got two men. Two men with a gut full of fear. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. It's the ball cracker death on film. You know it. You love it. It's Bad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 29, which begins with more chanting from last time. And it ends with Blaster entering Thunderdome. And right now, we've got two guests from the Minute Impossible podcast, Jonathan Howell and Chris Ramirez. Hello. Chris, are you on my shoulders or am I on yours? I'm bigger, so you would probably be on mine. Okay. Well, no, I don't know. Maybe you're bigger now. I don't no, know. No, you, you're. I think we. Oh, yeah, I'm probably bigger. I think we're about the same size. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Get up here. We'll, we'll take turns. We'll take All turns. All right. All right. Uh, hand me my mic. Ugh. I'm so high up here. Yes, you are. Oh, I don't speak. I just go. Uh, yeah, you just go. Uh, just don't bump your head on low doorways because that can always be pretty treacherous. Uh, oh, we we can do the you know that that big uh we can get a big uh trench coat now we can go pretend to be a big guy oh yeah we can we can go into adult movies now exactly (laughs) (laughs) and only have to buy one ticket yes exactly Well, thank you again for having us. We're really, yes, thank we're you. really appreciative. Yep. It is Wednesday. We are storming our way through this week. And at the tail end of Monday's minute, Dr. Dealgood started up something. He said, two men enter, one man leave. The crowd repeated. And the first 15, 20 seconds of this minute, I think, is just us looking around Thunderdome, listening to people chant. Mm-hmm. Two men enter, one man leaves. Two men enter, one man leaves. We didn't really talk about it in the last episode, but this is the one of the top five sayings of modern movies. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Top five. Yeah. For me, at least. I mean, I, there are probably people that, I mean, there's a new generation out there that probably has not seen <laughs> this, but... No, to them, Mad Max is Tom Hardy, so, you know. <laughs> Actually, Mad Max to them is Charlize Theron, which is even funnier. As far as movie chants are concerned, this is definitely one of the <laughs> top on the list. Wait, you're put, you're categorizing this by movie chants? Okay. Yeah, Okay. exactly. Name your other movie four chants, top yeah. movie chants. <laughs> well, Attica. I know I've got a few favorites. If you guys think of any, feel free to call them out, because I'm very interested. If you've got some favorites, let me know, because I... <laughs> I found some guy posting on Reddit under the R movies section, and he has his top three. One of those being the chant that the people trapped in that big old pit in The Dark Knight Rises. They uh, <laughs> they chant to help Bruce climb out. There's also uh, the chanting of the cultists, the Kali cultists mm. in Kalima. A Temple of Doom. Kali Ma and all that stuff. They're like... Yeah, it's like a high pitch. They're just kind of wailing kind of thing. That's a good one. Yeah, I've got some personal favorites of mine. If you have ever watched Bloodsport. Oh, yeah. The theme song to Bloodsport, Fight to Survive by Stan Bush, has this chanting element where the background singers are just chanting Kumite. 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 It's so awesome. (laughs) I love it so much. As crazy as the author of that movie is... Frank Ducks or whatever his name is, as crazy and totally off the wall as he is, that movie is awesome. That movie it's, is it's fantastic. A Van Damme classic. 
It's a Thunderdome. Going away from the fighting tournament movie into a different type of tournament, you've also got the quack chant from the Mighty Duck series. Mm-hmm. Quack, 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 quack. And then they like go and they got the flying V. And it's, oh. Starring I'm the star of that- our movie, Emilio Estevez. I am surprised that no one has started a Mighty Ducks Minute podcast. There is one. Podcast. There is one. There is? It's not no. Minute. They watch the movies and they there is one. I follow it on Twitter. Uh, shout out to that, whatever the name of that is. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to put it on. I'll, I'll actually put it out on Twitter when this episode airs. Sounds good. But yes, there is a Mighty Ducks. It's not a minute by minute podcast per se, but they talk about the Mighty Ducks all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry I can't be more specific. This is I was not prepared for this. A <laughs> uh, good one for me, Galaxy Quest, Larak Taroth, Larak Taroth, the Maktar chant of strength. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. Special shout out to Galaxy Quest Minute. Yes. Chris, what's your favorite chant? Oh, probably this one. More than Boo. anything. I use it all the time. <laughs> I do too. I, do, I, I did it the other day at work and, and these kids that I have working for me look at me like, what? I was just like, oh God. <laughs> oh my God. I was just like, I was like Mad Max. They're like, oh yeah, that was awesome with Shirley Theron. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> That's not until next season. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, that's a good one, but no, I, I'm like Mad Max before Fury Road. They're like, there were Mad Max movies before that? It's like, no. Mad Max when Mel Gibson could do no wrong. Exactly. <laughs> Back before we knew just how mad he was. <laughs> but of course, a lot of these people 15 years ago, 18 years ago, so you know, they were way, <laughs> this was like way before this movie was. Yeah, really. Chris yeah, works so at a baby gap. I manage a baby gap. <laughs> Since when does Gap employ actual babies? That's so weird. <laughs> oh, it's a new thing that's that they're you... doing here in Texas. <laughs> Only babies, and it's hard to yell at, you know. The first 10 seconds of this minute, we get three chants as we're just looking up at a low angle at the different people hanging on the dome. At about the 10 second mark, we shift over to look more directly at Auntie. I want to point out that the guard sitting behind Auntie over her right shoulder, to try and get my directions straight here, that's the guard that ruined Tun Tun's saxophone. He's the one that shot the arrow, missed Max, and then got flipped like a chump into the table, and he still gets to sit in her private box. Wow, Auntie's very forgiving. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't know he's the same guy. <laughs> they do look, she and that guy behind uh, to the right of her look exactly the same, so. Or, or he could be her boy toy, you never know. Oh, you never know. He's not bad looking. It could just be a looks thing. Maybe she wants all of the good looking guards hanging out in her penthouse, and that, yeah, he screwed up, but she's not going to, like, banish him to underworld guard duty. Yeah, fun fact. That is Chris Hemsworth's grandfather. (laughs) We know he survives this movie. Uh, It's funny. I think Auntie looks absolutely regal in this shot as she is sitting there in that uh, zipline chair of hers looking out over the proceedings. She is like total queen in this shot. I think she looks cautiously satisfied. She looks pretty comfortable there. I love that her throne is the same chair that brought her down from the penthouse that's fantastic yeah she looks pretty happy sitting there but not not really relaxed that, yeah. that's what i was gonna say I was, i'm so happy we get to talk about this chair because yeah. one uh, it, it's the only chair in thunderdome which is great because it's a chair that she had literally had to bring with her and <laughs> they also created this the set design on this is like okay so auntie presides over this in some sort of box like an emperor how are we going to get her to it and they're like well we built this 18 story thing let's have her come down on the zip, zip line, line down. it's so cool and so weird oh i love it 
And I, I love payment to the two manager, one man leave thing. She's just like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, this is my house. You can tell that as long as people are chanting that, that her position is secure. Like she's listening to all of these people say that. And she's like, yeah, as long as they have the bare necessities that they need and these little distractions to keep them from becoming unsatisfied, that auntie is secure. Like they love her because she lets them have things like this. She's like, yeah, two men enter, one man leave. That's my thing. Nothing to worry about. She's also well, rocking she the has, hair and rock. I mean, her outfit is just, uh, yeah. Cause I mean, she does have something to worry about in this fight specifically mm. because she's betting on a horse in this race. Right. It's interesting that you pointed out that it's the only chair in Barter Town, which is true, except for Master's. Like saddle? Like saddle chair thing. Blaster is a chair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the only people who ever get to sit down and enjoy their power, perhaps, are Auntie and Master. Oh, man. How much do you think Auntie wants to find a guy that's like bigger than Blaster so that she can have someone else to ride on? <laughs> like maybe that's the whole thing. Maybe it's like she uses <laughs> Master's arrogance well, I mean, as a shield. She did find Max. And she's just really jealous that she doesn't have someone hey, to give I her think, I think we, we, we found a role for Tim Capello. <laughs> <laughs> no, she'd fall right off him. He's so oily. <laughs> There's nothing to hold <laughs> on to. Right she'd put her legs around him and she'd start swinging around him <laughs> like a pendulum. Not if he had like a saddle or something. <laughs> I think Thunderdome, instead of not only being a Hemsworth uh, genetics experiment, <laughs> is they're trying to find someone bigger so that Blaster can stand, on, can sit on someone's shoulders <laughs> and then Master can sit on someone's shoulders. So we got like Master, Blaster, uh, Flask. Some sort of big fleshy wasteland Voltron. Yeah, we need a, <laughs> like, a, like a meat Voltron. That's so wrong. <laughs> the worst kind. A beige Voltron. (laughs) 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 So awful. That is awful. Sounds unsavory. It really does. Oh, it does. (laughs) So crazy. From Auntie sitting in her chair, very resplendent, we cut back down to the ground level of Thunderdome, and we're looking at Dr. Dealgood from behind. And I love this shot in particular because everyone's chanting, and then he silences them by throwing his hands apart. They're very responsive to that. That happened in the last minute, too. Yeah, it gives the sense that this is nothing new to them and that this is the sort of pre-fight ritual that they all get to chant and then he calls it off and then he keeps talking. There's so much spectacle to it. I love it. Well, because he's about to say his line. He's about to say the line we're going to hear here in a second. And it's the let's get ready to rumble. So when he comes out, you know, when he comes out and that microphone comes down, Mm -hmm. everyone's like, everyone quiets because they know the line is about to be said. That move reminds me of Saturday Night Live. When in the very beginning opening monologue, the guest host comes down the stairs and they shut the music off. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who do it theatrically just like Dr. Dealgood does. And the band is incredibly responsive, God, just yeah. like the crowd is. I've always so wanted to do that and have never had the opportunity. I would love to come in <laughs> and fist close down from the sky and be like, Bow! and just, you know, do the fist pump down and have the band end on my jump. <sighs> it's never happened. I can't get my children to listen to me, much less. <laughs> That should be one of those experiences that you can like go into a facility and like rent. Like there's a band there. 
you can go in and shut the band down however you like just to have that experience. I think that 30 Rockefeller Center should have the band from Saturday Night Live just come in on some days, like maybe in like the off season. And so those NBC tour groups that get to go through, they'll just have this thing where, you know, give them 50, 75, 100 bucks. They can charge whatever they want. They're SNL. But just give people the opportunity to walk out that door and signal the band to stop playing. And then that's your that's part of your NBC tour experience. I was yes. just on that tour last year. It's awesome. I wish that was the end of it. How awesome would that be? <laughs> and they have uh, not not Don Pardo. He's dead. But uh, they have what's his oh. face? Uh, it's Daryl Daryl Hammond. Hammond yeah, there. Hammond. He just on retainer, and he would just say your name. You know, Jonathan Owl. <laughs> <laughs> I come out and, I, and I'd say, "You guys bucks. might know me right. from Minute Impossible," and they'd be like, "A woo!" And I'd like cry, get. <laughs> it'd be a whole thing. It'd be always oh, so awesome. <laughs> the rest of your tour group is just in the seats in the crowd yeah. just just golf clapping yay yes. and then they're all looking at their watches like when is my turn mm-hmm. i want to get up there and do that be the longest tour ever <laughs> everybody gets five minutes to do a little mini monologue did everyone bring their monologues yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's the vip tour right yeah, i was gonna say that's the vip one if that was the case they just give you an option okay do you want to do alec baldwin's third time hosting you got steve martin's host thing you like you you pull the cards and then you get to read the same monologue and that'd be good (laughs) (laughs) my gosh we need to get back into the minute (laughs) so dr dealgood has ended the chant and he starts back up going he says and now i've got two men two men with a gut full of fear okay i've got a problem Okay. Neither of these men have guts full of fear. Well, they may not look like they have guts full of fear. Okay, well, this is ostensibly... Mel Gibson is afraid of a certain sect of religion taking over the world. (laughs) Ostensibly, this is Blaster's 21st time in Thunderdome. He is not afraid anymore. And we have seen, this is the third movie, and we've seen time and time again that Max just isn't afraid of stuff. He it handles, sounds so good, though. He, yeah, because it he rhymes with here. sort of thing. He, so he has, to, well, he has to say fear, because what else do you say? You got to get to that line. Yeah, well, Dr. Dealgood, the next line, he's going to drop the uh, rhyming scheme anyways. Yeah. <laughs> when he introduces Blaster. Sure disappointingly yeah. well see the 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 problem with having a gut full of fear is that fear is the path to the dark side so i although if you're in a fight to the death you probably want to be on the path to the dark side anyway but that's beside the yeah, point you might as well fear is the point. little death <laughs> there's so many minutes le petit mot anyway edwin hodgman mm-hmm. the way he delivers this next line the whole ladies and gentlemen boys and girls dying times here <sighs> is like his delivery I would say is objectively perfect. Mm-hmm. Like there's no subjective opinions here. That whole from ladies and gentlemen to dying times here, that chunk is objectively perfect. It is. I agree. And I will fight anyone who says otherwise. To the death? In the Thunderdome? <laughs> Not to the death because, you know, I don't want to get in too to much trouble. <gasps> yes, to the pain. Oh. So that way, when they walk down the street, women and children will look at them, recoil in horror, and say, dear God, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> We're jumping all over the podcast minute here, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Shout out to the Princess Bride minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I say, exactly. <laughs> One detail about this shot. 
especially when we're really up close on Dr. Dealgood's face where he ends that line. Most of the time, my eyes are on Dr. Dealgood, but in this shot specifically, if you look past him and past his scepter thing, you can see Auntie perfectly framed up in this shot. Like the way that the camera moves up on him and the way it ends. Oh, you can see her there. Chris, is it a split diopter? Let's see. Let's see. Let me look at it real quick. Are they both in focus? I'm looking at it. Let's see. Sorry, mine's having issues. Huh. <laughs> no, they're, they're out of focus. She's out of focus. Okay. But she's right there over it. Yeah, no, it's not a diopter. It's, it's not, not a, split not a split diopter, diopter shot. shot. No. Nope. Now, Julia, you looked up a bunch of stuff about Dr. Dealgood's staff. <gasps> Right. Yes. I actually didn't notice anything else about this moment because I was so focused on that stupid staff. (laughs) And I call it stupid because every minute this week you can see the staff, but the perspective on the staff matters a great deal. How you see it, it looks completely different. So at very first, I thought it was like an old school microphone. But then I got a more clear look at it. It looked like feathers or wings sticking out each side. But in this moment, we get a really good shot of it. I believe it is wings sticking out either side of like a central hoop that's sitting on top of a ball. So that's kind of the imagery that I went with. Unfortunately, this, from what I could find on the internet, this most resembles, hopefully I pronounce this good enough, the Reichsadler, which is the Nazi symbol of the eagle carrying a wreath in its talons with Mm -hmm. the swastika inside, and which in profile makes it look like a ball that the eagle is sitting on with its wings sticking out either side. So that's, you know, that's what it looks like. Well, it's not just that. I mean, it goes all the way back... You said something about... um... Yeah, the Nazis didn't come up with this symbol. Like, they didn't come up with most of their stuff. Yeah. They took it from somebody else. They took the Reichsadler from the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. So, it's much older than the Nazis. As far as fascist imagery goes, it's old school. It is. The whole wings and the ball and things like that. I, every time I look at the top of this staff... The only thing I can think of is the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, that's what because it looks like. it's wings coming out of a tire. <laughs> yeah, wings out of a tire. That's all I see. Ju- Julia, you seem like the kind of person that likes someone to be prepared and likes to dig deep and find these amazing little nuggets. And oh, here comes here comes Jonathan. I try. I comes, know comes. where He's this staff go. is from. The staff of Raw. Oh. I know so much about this staff, you're going to want to divorce Rick oh, and move wow. to Chicago. Okay. Oh, I think we got a Thunderdome thing happening here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys are going to have to fight in Thunderdome over her. No, just about this fact, about this staff. Oh, okay. um, I found a place, and you guys can go there, too. It's the madmaxmovies.com slash Oh, we forum. love that yeah, place. Yeah, we like, live there. Okay, great. Yeah. You've been there. I found some of this information there. Dr. Dealgood's staff is a prop from an earlier Kennedy Miller production. Oh, no it is. It is the staff used. Okay, let me find. Uh, this is a lot is of Australian staff, staff involved here. They, um, Bing. Yeah, let me go Bing this. Um, Babe Pig in the City. That's where it's from, right? No, Babe Pig in the City. Yes. (laughs) That'll do Pig. And he's holding the staff. He's uh, holding the staff. Excuse me. In the 70s, there was a dismissal of a prime minister named Malcolm Fraser. During all the scenes in the parliament that George Miller uh, did this movie, uh, he directed this movie, that was the staff they used. And the set designer was so mad that it got repurposed in this movie. (laughs) <laughs> it was a piece of used set from a movie. The only person you'd know from this movie, I went and looked it up, it was a TV movie in Australia. 
about the 70s. It wasn't in the 70s, but it was about the 70s. And it starred uh, John Mellion, who played Wally from the Crocodile Dundee movies. He's the only person I could find that I could even like trying to equate 80s movie to 80s movie. He, okay. he was the only one I could find. So this staff is a you're right in that it probably is something based in uh, a governmental. You're you're spot on because this was used when they would go into parliament. They would carry this staff and like tap it on the ground. Oh, that movie I, had uh, Bill Hunter from uh, Strictly Ballroom in it. That's cool. So, yeah. Good find. All right. This, this was my find of the day. So, Rick, move, move on over. <laughs> yeah. I'm joining. You've earned your keep. We're, we're going to start doing the Mad Max Minute. <laughs> I don't know. You used Bing. That kind of disqualifies. <laughs> no, no, I don't use that. That's crazy. I use Lycos. Oh, I see. That was a, it, oh, was okay. a, it was a TV series, wasn't it, Jonathan? The yes. Yes. There was, also, there was also an episode directed by Philip Noyce, who directed Dead Calm, which was also written by Terry Hayes, who wrote this. Yes. So there you go. It's all Very full cool. circle. It's it all is. Aust- yep. Well, they're, they're all, all Australian people, yeah. so you know, of course, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was surprised I found this because I was like, there's no way anybody knows where this stupid staff is from. I <laughs> George Miller did. I looked on the Mad Max wiki and Mad Max movies and all that stuff, and nobody said anything about it. You know what I looked up? I The way I got it was I typed in Dr. Dealgood staff. And I was, That's <laughs> exactly what I typed in. Oh. But did okay. you use Bing? So I'm looking at the IMDb page for the dismissal, the yeah, 1983 TV miniseries. Do you recognize the name at the top of that list, Max Phipps? Yes. No. I, rec- I recognize the name. Because the- Max Phipps was the oh, toady yes, in I Road Warrior. The toady, yes. Oh, well, I assume everyone in the movie, I assume, <laughs> I mean, if it's an Australian production, I assume almost all these actors were also in Mad Max. <laughs> that and You're neighbors. not wrong. <laughs> This is a windfall for, for the Australian uh, acting community in the 80s. Go around and say, yeah. oh, I was in a Mad Max film. Oh, you're from Australia. Everybody from Australia was in those Mad Max films for a while. Sure, there's a Hemsworth in there somewhere. Yeah, inside the he, he's inside the guard standing behind Auntie right now. Uh, also in that movie was assistant director George Ogilvie, mm-hmm. who played Senator Jim McClelland. Oh, man. So there's that. Tim Burns is in there as a guy named David Smith. So <laughs> Johnny the Boy survived. And then became David Smith, so that works. You walk with a limp. <laughs> that would have been excellent. I feel like Tim Burns should just always play characters with a limp. Yes. Like, oh, what happened to your ankle there? Oh, I had a run-in with a handcuff. You guys definitely put me to shame on that, because I only knew that one guy was in Crocodile Dundee. That shows uh, the level of uh, movie knowledge I have about this. I'm like, hey, look, there's Wally. So, so Jonathan's next thing is the Crocodile Minute. We still have yet to watch a Crocodile Dundee movie. <laughs> I watched that movie as a kid all the time. But we haven't watched one in relation to this project. No, we haven't. It came out after this one. It came out a year later. No, but it came out the same year in Australia, though, which is interesting. It is, and I think that is probably... I think the reason why... that movie did so well here was because Thunderdome came out. We saw Thunderdome and we're like, oh, Australia's awesome. First of all, is this how it is? <laughs> and then second was, oh, there's another Australian movie. This guy seems charming. We kind of, I think there was a, a love affair we had in the mid 80s with Australia. I still like Australia. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go on record now. I still like Australia. If it gets any worse here, I'm moving to Australia. Let's put it that way. These movies came out so close. I think one helped the other. I think Thunderdome had the gravitas and the uh, pedigree 
And then Crocodile Dundee was this, you know, goofy, dumb movie. Don't even get me started on uh, what's Paul Hogan. Not a not a fan. <laughs> I'm anti Paul Hogan and anti Mel Gibson. I will go on record for that too. So you're anti Australian, is what you're saying? Yeah. You're telling us no, now you're anti Australian. The Hemsworths. Because you're you're against the Hemsworth <laughs> and the Hugh Jackmans and his wife from uh, Fast and Furious and then Naomi right. Watts's. All right. Well, let's put away the shovels before you guys dig yourselves all the way through to Australia and find yourselves in trouble. <laughs> I told you I'm moving to Australia. That's that simple. As the minute continues, we transition from looking at Dr. Dealgood to looking at his assistants, the Tweedles, as I'll call them. <laughs> and they are motioning towards the door of the Thunderdome because Dr. Dealgood has started to introduce the first competitor. And there's something about these Tweedles that I noticed. The blonde one is always smiling with her teeth, and the brunette one doesn't smile as much, and it makes me wonder what their story is. Like, why are they hanging out with Dr. Dealgood? They remind me of, in Guardians of the Galaxy, when they go visit the Collector. Mm -hmm. Oh, his assistant, yeah. He has the women who are like servants. Like the purple ones, right? Yeah, the purple ones. They remind me of them. Like they're sort of... Like indebted to him or something? Like, or? like enslaved, lovely assistants. Yeah. Okay. My take on it is Dr. Dealgood is actually a dentist. <laughs> what? And okay. between the two women, there's only one good set of teeth. So oh. he has put them into one of them. And the other one oh. can't show her teeth anymore because there's... So they switch them back and forth on alternate Maybe. Days. Oh, yeah. They borrow the teeth. Yeah, they're... they're just... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but they're real teeth. They just go in there. So... Yes, Batman Forever. Today... So they're like the fates. Okay. Right. So, right. <laughs> one set of teeth between them. Yeah, well, the, the teeth that tell the future. Oh. Yes. Well, going back to the Batman thing, they're also very sugar and spice as well. Mm. Okay. I think this is probably the first time that, what was that, Batman Forever has been referenced on this podcast. That's because we do not talk about Batman on this podcast. <laughs> we try not to. I've already done it once this week. Yes, you did. And I allowed it. Branching out into the Tommy Lee Jones version of Two-Face might be a bridge too far, though. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the deep cut, but <laughs> you're walking on thin ice. <laughs> <laughs> so dr dealgood like i mentioned he's introducing blaster and as the lovely assistants motion towards the door dr dealgood says he's the ball cracker death on foot and you know i feel like you can't blame blaster for cracking balls because he just doesn't realize how fragile they are do you think they're talking about genitals? Well, any sort of ball, really. You might give Blaster a cue ball or some sort of, you know, tennis ball or something. And he'll just put it in his hand and it'll just crumble the dust because he just doesn't realize that he needs to handle them delicately. And if they are talking about the other definition of ball, I think we just discovered a worse option than Blaster kicking you in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want foot in face? Nuh-uh. You want foot in groin no definitely not that either it makes me wonder why blaster doesn't just go for that tactic in the thunderdome he doesn't need weapons he's got very powerful legs and if he knows how to use them he's all set <laughs> you mean he's got legs and he knows, he knows how, how to, to use, use them, them? Exactly. <laughs> 
I know what ZZ Top was <laughs> singing just about. Incapacitate Max and then bash his skull in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wait, so not only did Tupac do a song about this, ZZ Top, that's what that song is about? Oh, yeah, exactly. It's about this Apparently. movie? Apparently. Oh, who knew? I, I had, had no, no idea. idea. Well, they do have... They do have post-apocalyptic beards, now that I think about it. So, yeah. It and most sense. of their videos take place in the desert. Same. So, yeah. Not nearly enough, though. Not nearly enough. Not for my taste, though. But anyway, Dr. Dealgood continues the description. After saying death on foot, we get another shot of him, and he's got his arms wide, and he says, you know him, you love him, he's Blaster. And the crowd cheers. They adore door blaster he's like the town mascot Well, because he gives them the, what they, they love the, he gives them the death yeah i think they only love him in the context of thunderdome i think every other time and frankly probably even now they're just afraid of him you mean he's not like dwayne the rock johnson no no well you know it's interesting the rock is a national treasure <laughs> <laughs> he's franchised viagra we love him we're, we're big uh, rock fans over at uh, yes we are our podcast uh, he has not you know, been in a Mission Impossible movie we, yet, but he would make it better. Yet. yet. So would Blaster. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. can dig Blaster. As we watch this again, you know, and, and again, I, brought, I, brought, I bring it up again, hence the Hemsworths. But this movie, I mean, Thor Ragnarok really took this scene and like blew it out like a thousand times and made it a big homage to this scene. I mean, it really is this introduction because Jeff Goldblum isn't as cool as Dr. D here in this scene, but he's... He's giving it his all to, to intro Thor and the Hulk the same way. Oh, my. I am a little embarrassed that I didn't even think about Thor Ragnarok yeah. when I was watching this scene. Because, I mean, I mean Goldblum's, Goldblum's intro to the Hulk is, you know him, you love him, and you're, you're incredible, incredible Hulk. Hulk. Exactly. <laughs> so good. Oh, yeah. Ragnarok was such a great yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think in the case of of Hulk though the people really do love him. Oh yeah, definitely. They're not afraid of him because he's never used to intimidate or threaten other people. Okay, that's a good point. He's yeah. there purely to fight and entertain. And entertain, exactly. And the collector Blaster. has a melty stick. <laughs> the staff, staff. melty stick. Yeah. So the yeah. staff. Yeah. It's a, I Chris, I think you've you've hit on something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One thing that kind of bothers me mm. about the people cheering Blaster is the implication that he's been in the Thunderdome like 20 some odd times. And I feel like based on what we know because of prior viewings of this movie, as far as you know what we know about Blaster, it is really a mark against Master that he would send Blaster into the dome that many times. Yeah, this goes back to what Julia was saying. If Master can just use him as his, like, pick a fight and send him in. That's unfair. Yeah, definitely. We're going to have a minute, a moment in a minute, a couple of weeks from now, because there's so much fighting ahead of us, where Master is going to be very remorseful and apologize to Blaster for making him do all these things. And it's like, I don't think he ever felt that sort of remorse before that point. And I don't want to get too into it because I don't want to like burn up good content, but it's not making Master any more sympathetic. The fact that he uses Blaster this way. It's a heel turn for his character. Definitely. You're supposed to, I mean, he does some awful things at the beginning of this movie to both the, the main character and to Blaster. And then by the end of the movie, he's on our side. Yeah. Yeah. It's We're supposed to that's yeah. Very that's confusing. a question we have too. We're supposed to be yeah. like, oh, we're all good. We're all good with him now. Really, he's kind of a jerk. He killed yeah, a child, right. basically. Yeah. Bla- Blaster yeah. is a child. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> but for the time being, at least everyone is still having a good time. Everyone is still in high spirits. They're cheering on the people's champion here. <laughs> 
and Blaster entering and walking into the Thunderdome is really how this minute wraps up. So let's pause for here. We're going to wrap things up for today. We've still got one more minute to do on Friday where we'll come in. Dr. Dealgood has one more person to introduce to this little contest, and we'll talk about that the next time around. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Ire by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 29 of beyond thunderdome see you next time Everybody!